are listening to the Moody Girl Podcast with me, Emily Fazer. Throughout this series, we're going to be opening the minds of experts and delving into the world of alternative healing methods. Before we start the episode today, I wanted to ask all of you listeners a question. Did you know that a lot of people are living with lower than recommended magnesium levels? I didn't know this either and had never explored incorporating magnesium into my daily life until I started having skin issues. I now use Better You Magnesium Oil Body Spray when I get out of the shower in the morning and spray onto my feet before I go to bed. I found that when I had psoriasis and hormonal breakouts on my face or body, I would spray it on and at first it really stung. But this was a sign from my body that my cellular magnesium levels were low. The more I got the magnesium into my system daily, the less it stung. It made sense. If you're feeling like you could benefit from having magnesium in your life, I would strongly recommend looking into using Better You Magnesium Oil Body Spray. Link to purchase is in the bio. Now, let's get to the episode. This week, I'm speaking to Julia Carson from Sober Positive, who found that completely giving up alcohol changed her life after years of battling a negative relationship with it. It was a really great chat we had. And by the way, if you haven't already and you're enjoying the episodes, please like, share, subscribe, or give a five-star review to help these episodes to reach a wider audience. It really helps. I feel alcohol consumption is a really important topic to cover because it's something that's so ingrained into society and British culture in particular. Before we get started with the interview, I'd like you all at home to think about your own relationship with alcohol. Do you think you have a positive relationship? Or is it something you find harder to manage? Have a think about that. Sometimes even asking ourselves the simplest of questions can highlight the areas we can work on in our lives. Let's hear Julia's story. So welcome, Julia, to the Moody Girl podcast. Hi, lovely to be here. Thank you so much for spending time uh, with myself and the Moody Girl audience today. This episode is going to dive into all things um, sober positivity, um, sober curiosity, and how much it's changed your life for the better. Um, So yeah, I wanted to start by saying I have read your book and congratulations because it's a really refreshing take on um, being sober. Thank you so much. I'm really glad that you enjoyed it. And um, that was my aim, really. In in writing the book, it was to, because stopping drinking has been so transformative for me and it was so surprising to me that I've been able to find this fun, joyful, great life on the other side of quitting alcohol, that which was not anything that I expected to find on this side of, of not drinking. And so that was my my aim really with the book. Well it started off with my blogs on the the community Soberistas and then from that came the book to to hopefully share the message more widely around the fact that it is possible to be sober positive as the title of the book suggests. Amazing. Um, so for anyone who hasn't heard your story or who hasn't had the opportunity to read your book yet, um, can you tell us about a little bit more about your uh, story? So, you know, you're, you're just mentioning before we started recording, it's your sixth um, year sober anniversary tomorrow. So right. 
Congratulations on that. That's a huge milestone. Um, so yeah, six years ago, wind wind back the clock. Where was your life then? Can you give us a little bit of context? Yeah, so six years ago, I was 40, just 40. It was my birthday yesterday. And um, so obviously now I'm 46. Um, yeah, so I was just turned 40. I had been out to celebrate my 40th and overdid it with alcohol yet again, which I had a tendency to do right from when I first started drinking as a, a, a kind of, I was 16, 17, as, as many people in the UK are. And um yeah, was always kind of the one with no off switch. And as twenty in my twenties and, and early thirties, I was really very much a social drinker. I didn't drink at home, and my drinking to most people, I would say, most people in the UK would probably not have looked like anything particularly unusual. But it always had huge impacts on my mental health. And and you know, I'm I'm, I'm really happy you've invited me to come on your podcast because my mental health was always so tied up with my cycle and with with what has subsequently eventually ended up being a diagnosis of PMDD but I was undiagnosed for really uh, probably the best part of two decades Wow! and I would always find that when I was in that two-week period when I was feeling awful with it that alcohol would would help I would think it would help but then obviously the after effects of alcohol would very much not help so then I would be in this kind of horrible cycle and then things kind of in a way took a bit of a turn when I had children I had children kind of reasonably late in life I was 36 when I had my eldest 39 when I had my little one and um after that I had postnatal depression so once again hello hormones and and not in a good way and um and then my drinking kind of ended up being more at home at that stage because obviously I wasn't able to go out because I had young children so that was then when it started sort of ramping up in terms of the bottles of wine that I was getting through per week and again I mean on paper it maybe wouldn't have looked hugely concerning but then combined with the fact that if it was someone's birthday or whatever then I would still go out and have no off switch as well that the you know in terms of the kind of monthly consumption it was it was getting to a level that I wasn't happy with and getting to a level that I didn't feel was hugely compatible with good parenting so I didn't plan to stop drinking completely on day one so on the the 19th of February 2017 I was waking up with a horrendous hangover feeling awful that I'd overdone it yet again that I had to breastfeed my little one when I'd had too much the night before just lots of shame around that and lots of disappointment in myself that yet again I'd, I'd done the thing that I said I wasn't going to do and then googled help to stop drinking and from there ended up finding um, a book called This Naked Mind by a lady called Annie Grace who um it's it's brilliant that book and it really changed my mindset around alcohol and around why I got into trouble with alcohol and also the the sober support community Soberistas which is is has was started by um a lady called Lucy Rocker um 10 years ago now that they've just had their 10th anniversary and um, found this wonderful community of women who were all kind of like me when it came to booze. It may be not the kind of stereotypical picture of a rock bottom alcoholic, but at the same time, alcohol was bringing more negatives to their lives 
than it was positives. And the combination of those two things, that mindset shift that I had around from, from Annie Grace's book around alcohol and also the support that I had from from the community at Sobristas kept me going with, with the journey. And, and I ended up not going back to drinking. And here I am six years down the line. Still wow. haven't had a drink since since that day. Well, good for you. That is absolutely incredible. Um, and I think we underestimate. Um, I think I know for me with I know we touched on PMDD um, at the beginning of your story there. Um, that was kind of what was the light bulb moment for me, realizing that it wasn't just me experiencing this. That mm-hmm. when I found all the the Facebook communities and IAPMD and all of the you know the information that I hadn't had for years, mm-hmm. um, it makes you feel less crazy, and you're like, oh, actually, okay, I can speak to other people about this. And when you find mm-hmm. that community, it's that's just so important. So I'm so glad that you found that. Um, and thank you for sharing that. So any audience who think that they can benefit from those communities, please do check them out online. Um, so yeah, from reading your book, that was one thing which you just mentioned that I found really, really interesting. And it's the term of alcoholic. Mm. So what that in society has been uh, portrayed as, and I loved in uh, your book, you used an analogy that you kind of, or a perception of what you had created in your head for an alcoholic as being the old vicar out of Father Ted. And it's so true. I laughed out loud because I was like, oh my God, that's so true. Because, you know, we watch all these sketch shows and we watch all these comedians and, um, and that's the way that it's always been portrayed online and and in t- television and movies, all of this, you know, you see, you imagine an alcoholic to be someone who's, you know, got a, a bottle of spirits in their hand, walking down the street, doesn't have a job, doesn't know, you know, all these things. But actually, it really made me think how you said that. And, you know, there's so many people functioning, but it's the lifestyle that we now have, especially in the UK, um, mm. we're all quite nervous socially. Um, and the way that we relax is from having a drink. Um, yeah. So, I mean, what would you describe the stages of having a problematic relationship with alcohol look like? You know, are there any red flags um, or anything that may not be as obvious? Um, but what do you think those might be? I think a phrase that I I used to hear before I stopped drinking and it used to scare the life out of me because it kind of indicated to me that probably I did need to do something about my drinking is if it's a problem for you, it's a problem. And that used to make me think, well, my drinking is a problem for me because I worry about it all the time. Therefore, does that mean I'm an alcoholic? And actually what I found so liberating about this naked mind that the book I mentioned was that she kind of said well alcohol is addictive and that just flipped my thinking about it completely because I've been so caught up in this thinking of well there's alcoholics who get into trouble with alcohol and there's people who are not alcoholics and if you're not an alcoholic you're okay and so I was so desperate to not be an alcoholic so that I could keep drinking that nothing else really entered into my considerations and and a lot of my my worries about the whole situation were am I an alcoholic and if I'm an alcoholic then I'll have to stop drinking and I that would and then I'd sort of like get all this evidence I was almost like a detective kind of looking for evidence as to why I wasn't an alcoholic well I'm not an alcoholic because I don't drink in the morning I'm not an alcoholic because there was that one time when I was 
really moderate and I came home and I'd had enough to drink after a few or I'm, I'm not an alcoholic because I'm not as bad as X, Y and Z person. And really all of that was just kind of like smoke and mirrors that was hiding the fact from me that my drinking was a problem for me mm-hmm. because of the way that I felt after I'd had a, a night of overdoing it, the way that I felt out of control with it, the way that it impacted my mental health. I used to have the most awful kind of anxiety in the morning, that kind of feeling of morning after anxiety, and that was getting worse and worse, the older I got, definitely. And that was also very much tied up with my hormones. It, it got worse after I had my children when I was in that postnatal depression kind of period. It was just just horrendous. So all of that... I kind of almost put to one side and said, well, well, that's okay. As I, I, I can I can cope with all that as long as I'm not an alcoholic because if I'm an alcoholic, I'll have to stop drinking because stopping drinking just seems like this worst case scenario and, and the thing that you want to avoid at all costs because we're kind of told that by everyone, including, and this again was a big driver for me in, in kind of making my story so public and and writing the book because there is this this kind of perception from absolutely everybody including the health professions and everybody who that nobody kind of gives you as an option well you could just voluntarily stop drinking and you might feel better it's always about cut down moderate control your consumption unless you meet this threshold of being an alcoholic in which case you absolutely have to stop and 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 never drink again and, and it's this terrible worst case scenario but before you get to that threshold you have to just be moderate and, and control it. And and for me personally, that trying to be moderate and, and controlling it was just so incompatible with my personality, with the physiological effect that alcohol has on me, that it is just far too much hard work. It's just exhausting. And it's so much easier and more freeing for me to just say, okay, that's not for me. What else can I put my energy into? Mm. So in terms of it's it's a difficult one in terms of kind of red flags because I think that everybody is is unique and individual and alcohol as a drug, which it is a drug, will have a different physiological effect slightly on everyone and it and also different at different phases in our lives. As I said, it got worse for me after I had children because of those hormonal shifts. So there's there's that in it. But I would say it it's about the damage it's doing in your own mind really and I think that being honest with ourselves and trying to not be afraid of the possibility that alcohol might be something that we struggle to moderate I think is is maybe that's the kind of sticking point for so many people because it, it feels like such a terrifying thing to have to accept about yourself and I was terrified of it I was absolutely on on you know on the day one six years ago I didn't you know if if somebody had told me that two years following that I would be writing a book called Sober Positive I would have absolutely laughed my head off because it just it didn't feel like a positive thing to not be able to drink anymore at that stage. Yeah it's amazing how you've turned that round though that really kind of dark time and turned it into such a freeing and positive thing and I think that's what I took from your story um that you kind of flipped it on its head and I mean even I I do dry January almost every year um Mm. and I find that so enjoyable at first I tried to do it and it was like honestly like a prison sentence I was Mm. like oh god it's like 10 days in and and then Mm. the older I'm getting the more I'm really enjoying it 
Um, but then it's funny when you hear people's reactions to, oh, yeah, I'm doing dry January or something and, oh, God, boring or, mm-hmm. you know, and it's and it without realizing it, you, it, it impacts you because you're like, yeah. oh, God, am I boring? You know, should I just let my hair down and go with the flow a bit? And mm-hmm. it's annoying how we feel that you can't relax and go with the flow um, by being sober because you totally can. It's just this perception that's so woven into society um, and especially British culture. I mean, we spend so much time down the pub um, Mm. and my husband and I, we were having a conversation about it the other day and I was like, I don't know if I enjoy going to the pub. (laughs) I was like, really, (laughs) honestly, I'd, I'd rather go somewhere else, you know, to a cafe and, you know, or go for a nice walk and, and he, we were kind of going on with this thing about British culture and how the pubs are kind of part of who we are. But it's it's funny that pubs are so ingrained in in our culture because that's where you get absolutely legless, you know? Yeah, uh, that's it. And I think for me, I, it's opened my world up so much because I was very focused around alcohol. I remember I used to really struggle with that bit on your CV where you had to put interests and whatever because my interest was going out for meals and drinks and drinking basically so you know with friends but socializing but always yeah. with alcohol so I did you know I didn't really have much in the way of hobbies I didn't do any sports or anything it was you know my social life was very much based around drinking and I it's it's funny because I I don't because I'm even though I'm a sober person I kind of don't ever ever want to come across as like the fun police you know I don't and, and I feel sometimes I feel still even though I'm very open obviously about my story about like I almost don't want to tell people that I don't drink because I don't want people to instantly make that kind of like eye roll that oh well you're not fun then kind of thing because I didn't obviously stop drinking because of some sort of holier than thou anything it was uh, I stopped drinking because I had to because it was making my life miserable and from there I've built up a life that's brilliant and I'm actually happier now than I can ever remember being as a drinker because it did always cast this shadow over my life that I wasn't even really aware of but the difficult and and it's it's been a journey to get to this point because there is that process of learning how to do everything differently learning how to socialize differently learning how to manage stress differently and all of that and it's but now I've got to a place where I'm so much happier than I ever was as a drinker and I have more fun than I ever did as a drinker it's so so interesting um i mean when you spoke earlier about um how alcohol you, you tended to go for alcohol when you're going through hormonal fluctuations and especially mm. in your um luteal phase um yeah. so how is that for you now so when you're going through your luteal phase have you noticed a difference six years sober um, it's difficult to say because I'm now on hormonal treatment for PMDD, but I wouldn't be on that if I hadn't stopped drinking. There's no way that I would have kept because one of the things I think that happened to me when I stopped drinking was that I then kept going with not settling for feeling a bit crappy in any way. So if there were things like I've changed, well, I've not really changed careers, but I've, I've, I've adjusted careers and I've got like a second career. I've done some retraining and also obviously writing the book as well. I have separated from my former partner. So there's there's loads of things that have shifted in my life because when you're sober and you're kind of there for all of it, you have to, you, you can't accept 
things that make you feel crappy. So and um, one of those things was of course the PMDD, which which was still there. It was I was I started antidepressants as part of my um part when I had postnatal depression and I still take them because that is also another part of, of my treatment for it. But that it still I still had at least a week, a month of like the last week of my luteal phase feeling not great. And as a result, I really pushed for a, a medical referral. And as chance would have it, a lovely lady who I know, um, she um, comes in and gives me a massage once a month. It's my little treat to myself, but she's a friend as well. And um, she recommended this consultant in Manchester. She said, all the ladies, this if you've got anything hormonal, anything gyny, you've got to go to this guy. And um, so I managed to get a referral on the NHS to, to this consultant. And he's the first person that's ever really like properly taken me seriously. And I went with like this list of these are all the symptoms that I have. And, and finally, um having actual proper treatment for it. So that is like three monthly hormone blocking injections that I'm sure that some of the listeners will, will be having similar treatment. will know what I'm talking about. And so I have that and then I have some HRT kind of put back in. So essentially I'm having treatment now that gives me normal hormones basically. And I don't, I'm not going to have to have a hysterectomy, which is a huge relief because I know that some people do have to go to that extreme. And um, yes, but I don't have periods. So I don't have a monthly. I said to somebody fairly recently that this must be like what it's like being a man because mm. my moods are just, they are just are what they are, just are what they are. And they, you know, they fluctuate depending on life and what's going on around me, but they don't, I don't have that monthly up and down that I'd always had. That's so interesting. I mean, I went as far because I went to Chelsea and Westminster at P- PMS clinic um, mm. and I went to the HRT as far as that. And then I was on that for about five years. And then I kind of discussed it with my husband and we were like, let's during the lockdown, I just basically cut everything out, slowly wean myself off it. Now I'm natural, um, mm. but I still do experience those fluctuations. Definitely. I mean, today I'm four days away from my period. Um, mm. And I woke up this morning and I was like, oh God, you know, I, just, I do yeah. have that. But I, you know, I try, I try different ways of, of working it. And I always am so interested mm. in in hearing different people's treatment plans and and how it works for them. Because I do think, PMDD is so unique, like sobriety and um, mm. to to the indiv- individual and what's going on in our life. Um, so, yeah, thank you for sharing that with us and, and the audience. Um, so uh, you also mentioned in your book that when you were trying for children, I know you touched on that you're a little bit um, older in life. Um, I'm 33, mm. still don't have children yet. Um, mm. So hoping I'll probably be a similar age if all goes well and to you. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, what I found really interesting from that part of the book was it was like you you were almost relieved when you started, um, you know, you're like, okay, I've got a reason to stop now. So we're trying Mm. for children um, and then you got got pregnant um, and then it was like, yep, don't need to drink. And it was just lovely for you. And then Mm. it was almost like as soon as the children were born, it was like this thing, like a monkey on your shoulder, just like, Mm. hello, you know, when are you going to come back to this life before you had children? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, yeah, that really struck a chord with me because I think even, you know, my, the longest I've ever not drank was during the lockdown. Um, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about Cytoplan a unique science-based supplement company with many years of experience in nutritional science 
and whose emphasis is on quality of product. My medical herbalist swears by them as they don't use any unnecessary bulking agents. Before I found out about Cytoplan, I was taking up to eight supplements a day, all with bulking agents in them. It was such a relief to find out Cytoplan products are extremely pure. I now use them daily and I would recommend them to anyone looking for quality vitamins and supplements. They have a great range for many different health benefits. So if you'd like to find out more, please follow the link in the bio of this episode and check out Cytoplan. You won't regret it. The longest I've ever not drank was during the lockdown. Um, mm-hmm. um, I had three months furloughed at home. And, you know, for me, because it was furloughed, it was a really fortunate position to be in because I was still being paid, but I didn't have to go anywhere I didn't have to see anyone. I didn't have FOMO of people at the pub. Um, and it really gave me the opportunity to just really stop alcohol. So I was working out, stopping alcohol. I came off HRT, looked at my diet, all of these things. Um, but it was a transitioning out of that that hit me like a ton of bricks because I wasn't prepared for it. Um, mm. And I remember the first day kind of being in a situation where people were drinking around me and I burst into tears because I was just like oh god I can't do this I'm such a loser you know and I think from what you've said and what you mentioned about the book that you were reading um it's all in in the mindset and I think Mm. that's where I got it wrong so I was very much just doing it I felt great but it was great it was easy enough to do it when the whole world is locked down but when Mm. you have to go back into everyday life um that's where I think when you say about the mindset with drinking alcohol changed. Um, Mm. So, I mean, can you talk the audience through the main sort of shifts um, that we need to look at? Say if anyone is sober curious or um, they are going through their own sober journey, what are those shifts they can, they can look at? Absolutely. So for me, the big shift was, as I've already said, the um, getting past that alcoholic, not alcoholic binary and really seeing alcohol use as it is which is a spectrum of of shades of gray from the most moderate don't really like the taste of alcohol even but will have one to be polite at weddings drinker all the way up to the person drinking a bottle of spirits a day and there are there isn't any point on that where everybody will definitely be an alcoholic and on the other side everybody definitely won't it's it's the point at which it starts to become a problem is different for everybody at different points of that spectrum and that for me was huge because it stopped me thinking in those terms of well as long as I'm not an alcoholic I can keep drinking and should keep drinking and started me down a path of more making genuine decisions for for my health and thinking well what is what is the right decision for me for my health and for my mental health for my physical health I know that not drinking alcohol is the right path for me and then I think the other shift was meeting the community of ladies at, at Soberistas and, and seeing in real time people that were further down the path from me who were going out and, and having a brilliant time. One of my friends um, got invited to the Brits and she was in her first six months and she went sober to the Brits and she had a 40th sober and was doing all this stuff. And her blogs on Soberistas were huge for me because I was I was four weeks sober having that exact experience that you described of going out seeing my 
friends in real life thinking, oh, God, why can't I do that? And it, it's not fair. But then seeing somebody who was six months down the line, eight months down the line, going out and doing stuff and coming back and saying, do you know what? That was amazing. And I remember every bit of it and I had so much fun and just seeing what was possible, I guess, which is why then I suppose I in turn have tried to kind of pay it forward and, and do the same and, and report on my experience all the way through the journey, really. Mm. So, so I think that's the two, the two big things. I mean, community has been, has been massive for me. Sorry, I should take a sip of water. Yeah, it's fine. Um, community has been massive for me I, I don't think I could have done it on my own I think having other people around me who were going through the same thing and and as I said that kind of seeing the example of how they were living brilliant lives without alcohol was was really huge mm. so I think that's kind of they're the two big things because what what I describe it in my book is is about a, there's a chapter where I talk about option c because I think I had always thought that the two options were to carry on drinking and be miserable about my drinking some of the time or to stop drinking and be miserable about my drinking all of the time because I couldn't do it anymore. And they felt like the only two options. So if they were the only two options, then obviously it's better to carry on with the, well, I'm only miserable about it some of the time. What I never considered was that there was an option about stopping drinking and just leaving it behind and, and building a life that I'm happy with and, and not being miserable about alcohol at all, mm. which is where I've been able to get to. So good. And when you first see when you were you you joined Sobristas, you're reading blogs, um, and then all of the friends, I know you said you had a good circle of friends who used to go and have, you know, abundance of alcohol with. What mm. happened uh, once you got sober? Were they accepting of that? Um, you know, how did you were you comfortable being around alcohol? How long did it take for you to, you know, not feel like you wanted that drink when everyone else around you might be? It took a while, definitely took a while. And I think I was fortunate in that. In I think it's definitely, I'm not saying, I wouldn't want any of your listeners who, who were younger or who were in more kind of booze-centric friendship groups to think that what I'm saying doesn't apply to them because I think anybody can, can get through this period. I know people on Sober Easters who have done that. But for me, I was fortunate in that I was in my 40s, just in my 40s. I All my friends had small children or my, and the, the nights out were getting increasingly low-key anyway and so my inability to moderate or you know what well, well I suppose I, I wasn't always unable to moderate but my my tendency to take it too far on occasion so if it was a night out for someone's birthday for example my I would generally be the one who'd be like why is everyone going home come on let's stay out let's you know uh, wanting to keep the party going and that tendency was kind of starting to stick out a bit more and actually I found that the it, when I stopped drinking, I became almost like a detective of, of other people's drinking, not in a judgy way, but just in a, oh, OK, so that person doesn't actually drink very much at all. Was that always the case? Did I just not notice that before? Mm. And it was fascinating. And actually, I found that for the for the, the vast majority of my friends who still drink, they it just wasn't an issue because they don't drink enough to become really annoying and drunk and and any that much different to how they are when they're sober so it just became a bit of a non-issue really with with mm. most of them wow. a couple of friendships shifted quite a bit but then there was other things going on there as well one of my friends has also stopped drinking as well so there's, there's been different different things have, have happened but I think 
overall as a group we've become a lot less about the booze anyway because we're older and we've got young children which is obviously quite incompatible with hangovers so totally <laughs> so there's definitely so there's definitely there was definitely that side of it but I think it was a real gradual thing for me and there was moments there was little high points on the, on the journey I suppose there was at first it's I find on a sober night out with drinkers that there can be this kind of, at first, it can feel a bit awkward. And that's still the case for me at six years sober when everybody really? else gets a drink and starts to kind of settle into the night. I can sometimes feel a bit, mm. I quite like to be able to take the edge off, but it passes. And as other people relax into the night, then I find that I relax into the night as well. And you can get tons of lovely alcohol-free drinks now that look like the real thing so you don't feel like you're sat at the kids table with your little tumbler of orange juice <laughs> I know that's that's the key as well I remember I went mm. to like a girls lunch and it was very like you know bottles of wine on the table and I'd made the decision I was going to do this without alcohol uh-huh. and I think I got like a kombucha but I got it in a wine glass um, mm. and they were like oh you know what's that and I was like, oh, it's kombucha. I remember this one one girl who didn't know that very, like that well was just like, oh, no, remind me not to get that one, you know? And I remember at the time, yeah. it really cut deep, and I was like, mm. oh. And I remember just obsessing over that one comment when I was driving home, mm. um, almost punishing myself for it. So I think it's really refreshing. And, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I find maybe with the younger Gen Z, uh, Generation Z, they seem to be much healthier than, you know, I was as a, at that age. You know, it seems mm-hmm. like a lot of the children in the, the people in the gym are much younger. I mean, I definitely mm-hmm. wasn't in the gym when I was a teenager. It's probably yeah. being, you know, hanging out on street corners, drinking cider with mates, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and also they seem to not be drinking as much. Mm. Um, which is a great movement. And I and I feel like more than ever, people are talking about sobriety in a positive way. Um, and, you know, looking at the ways that we can rejig our lives. And I mean, for you, you've got a lot on your plate. So you've got your, you've got your blog, you've got um, your own book that's out, you've got your own podcast. I noticed mm. that you also um, are a coach psychologist as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so would you say all of these things came after getting sober? Definitely, 100%. So I, I still do the same kind of day job, if you like, as I did before um, stopping drinking. And I still have the same children, obviously. Other than that, my life is completely different. I didn't have, obviously hadn't written a book, didn't have didn't have the podcast, didn't have a blog, kind of wanted to blog. I tried doing like a parenting blog, like had these kind of sporadic, sporadic attempts at that, but it just never kind of came to anything and and just never got off the ground with it but I always wanted to write there was always that in me that I wanted to write and also yeah the um I retrained as a therapist so that I only qualified last summer so that's been like the last four years I've been been retraining and I've now just thank you and now I've just started my practice which I'm absolutely loving it's just just such a dream to be able to do it and actually get paid for it it's amazing I kind of I, I, kind of, I would say I, I do it for free I do do it for free I volunteer as well for a, a women's refuge but but yeah it's just it's just crazy to, to be able to enjoy something that much and, and make money doing it is is amazing so yeah my life is um my life's very different very very different and I wouldn't have done I would say any of it if I hadn't stopped drinking sure and yeah, I think it's interesting what you're saying about Gen Z. My, my my friend Liz, one of my sober besties who I do my podcast 
with she was actually saying on our last episode that her son who's a teen is is really like yeah which is just a bit embarrassing mum to be honest when you know when people overdo it and I it's just we're just not interested in this and I think maybe social media has had quite a lot to do with that because obviously for, for me I when I was drinking it was in the 90s when I started drinking it was in the 90s and it's like you know there was no very little in the way of evidence of um of whatever we were up to whereas now everything's kind of pictures of everything and online and everybody's trying to look their best and it's maybe not not compatible with messy drinking yeah it's so true I mean also if you think about because I'm a millennial I'm born 89 and I mean all of the the kind of bands that we that were glamorized were smoking cigarettes having pints of beer or you know and it was it was so glamorized and mm-hmm. I mean when I think back to one of my first experiences of drinking I think I had like two Bacardi breezes after the prom and I was 16 yeah. and I've always been someone who I can have a sniff of wine and I feel a bit drunk mm-hmm. and I had two Bacardi breezes and I remember it was all around school that, oh, Emily's wild when she's drunk. She took her top <laughs> off and she was running around the garden in her bra. And I and I honestly, to this day, can't remember it. But I was just like, Jesus. And I had anxiety at 16. And I'm like, yeah. 33 now, come on. Um, but I mean, if that was a Gen Z, I mean, that would be all over TikTok or whatever. Um, mm. And and that would probably ruin me for the rest of, you know, my school school years um so yeah so thank god we didn't have that back in the day um (laughs) so for a last question before we go to ask the audience I wanted you um you know to ask you if any of the audience feel like they might have a problematic relationship with alcohol um where do they start you know what's the first stage of admitting it I guess how do you even start I would say maybe get reading, but there's so much there's so much out there in terms of the books that you can obviously read a book, you can download a book to a Kindle or or a phone now, and nobody will ever be any the wiser if you if you feel like you don't want to even discuss it with another person, then just start. And and I'm not just saying that because I'm trying to flog my book. There's tons of really good books out there that can really help with that kind of getting your your head straight around it because it's it's something that does feel very much still like it's hard to talk about I certainly would never have discussed my worries about my drinking with friends in the same way that I would have discussed maybe trying to quit smoking or a diet or you know trying to lose weight that kind of thing so I think definitely that's a good place to start and also podcasts as well there's quite a few sobriety podcasts out there as well again not trying to not trying to sell mine because it isn't actually a sobriety podcast but but yeah so um so, so I think kind of just kind of check in check into all the information that's out there and um if you then from that feel like stopping drinking is something that you would want to give a go even if it's just a break then connect with a, a sobriety support community and and I mean obviously I would always recommend sober easters because it's been so transformative for me and that's my kind of my sober home online and but I've never I'm also um that yeah I'm aware of quite a few others and I, I haven't ever come across a sober community that's been in any way anything less than wonderfully welcoming and and really supportive and the same with sober social media as well I'm not a huge fan of social media I tend to for my own mental health I tend to kind of dip into it as as infrequently as possible I tend to feel better when I don't but 
the sober social media again is really supportive really inspirational so there's there's a lot out there in terms of connection and just just kind of seeing what the other side is like really i suppose and and just just seeing and and to take it from there and then my next step beyond that was to eventually speak to a therapist and i i think i suppose that's the kind of the equivalent of if you're not doing because the aa program obviously takes you through these kind of formal steps and if you're not doing that i did find it helpful to almost do like my own version of that kind of looking at myself and looking at why i drank and looking at what was kind of behind behind it all and and that was a helpful process for mm. me as well so i'd say sort of that that they're the kind of the three things would be kind of community support with your mental health because it's it's kind of it's you know it's a it's a challenging thing to do and information because there's tons out there amazing thank you so much those are all amazing no points um so we've now come to the part in the show where we have a few questions from our social media audience um and so we're going to go straight into it how do you deal with work stress when your go-to is having a drink I've been sober since January and usually drink a lot, but I'm now finding it really hard not to drink after a stressful day. Um, first of all, I would definitely say hang on in there because as time goes on, you will have less work stress because you're not drinking. That is definitely something that I've found to be true for me and every sober person that I know that, that general overall levels of stress and anxiety do dial down over time of being sober. Um, in terms of what I do in the moment after a, a stressful day, I find running really helps. I'm not a big runner. I'm I'm not mega fit, but that's, there's something about exercise that can just do that kind of instant state shift. And I feel like running, it's, it's almost like the opposite of, of drinking in the sense that when you drink, because you get the stress relief but then you kind of have the price to pay potentially afterwards in terms of the anxiety the next day or or just you know the even one glass of, of alcohol will have an effect on your sleep which is obviously not then going to help with stress long term whereas running you kind of you, you're making your payment up front but then there's no bad after effects and it, that's that's always been a big help and particularly in early sobriety when the stress would be kind of compounded by not only was I stressed by a bad day, but I was also stressed because I was a, I had a bad day and I couldn't drink. That I'd just get to a kind of ah state, and that was you know definitely exercise was a big help for me. Also, food, having something really nice to eat. Um, obviously, kind of trying to not go overboard with that because then that can cause problems in itself. But but yeah, definitely having having nice things to eat or a nice hot drink, that kind of, you know, having sort of sober treats is is the way it's often referred to in sober communities, making sure that you've got a lot of kind of sober treats identified that you can if you feel like you need to really treat yourself and look after yourself, you can do that. And also having boundaries. And I didn't have boundaries when I drank. I had no boundaries whatsoever in terms of um, T telling the people in my life what I needed and I think I had to get a lot better at that as a sober person in the sense of if I'd had a bad day I'd have to say to my husband at the time that you know I, I just need an hour or half an hour or whatever it is and, and can you cope with the kids and you know I know it's not always that easy for, for people but certainly that would be my kind of my advice as far as I can think but it's difficult it is really difficult when we you when you're used to having that fast track to relaxation there isn't anything as a sober person that 100% replaces it but over time 
you don't need it anyway because your overall levels of stress come down. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, so what alternative ways are there to feel comfortable in social situations other than drinking alcohol? Without drinking, I would be way less social and feel really awkward. I think, as I said, that it's a weird thing, the awkwardness. I would never have anticipated this, but what I generally find is that I will feel I'll have about half an hour at the start of a night where I kind of still feel a bit, I'm the sober one. But then as the evening goes on and other people relax because they've had a few drinks, I will also relax. It's a really weird thing. It's almost like the kind of the, the overall atmosphere of the group is almost a bit contagious. I also find that I get a surprising amount of placebo effect from things that taste like alcoholic drinks, like alcohol-free beer and tonic water and things that rather than drinking something sweet, which it's again, it's, it's a weird thing. But our brains are kind of doing half the work for us, really, even when we're drinking actual alcohol. And it's surprising how much of that can still be recaptured by something like an alcohol-free beer. And um I I and then just focus kind of doing a bit of reframing really this is the therapist in me coming out but I find that reframing on the things that are positive about the night that wouldn't have been the case if I'd been drinking so for example um if I I still because I would quite often come home from a night out if I'd overdone it with drink with you know kind of makeup not the best and you know not not looking my best shall we say and the fact that I can come home from a night out looking exactly the same as I did when I went out and makeup's in place and hair's in place and I'm that is still to this day a, a you know a real it doesn't get old so so there's that um and to focus on the things that are still good about the night out and I think that that has made me over time be a lot more choosy about what I'll do socially. But when I do say yes to something, it's because I know that there are things that I will get a lot of enjoyment from, whether it's having delicious food or going to see a band that I love or dancing to music that I love or spending time with people who genuinely light me up and make me feel great. And it, over time, it, it alcohol becomes just less and less a thing, really, in 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 your life I suppose is, is the way to put it but it's a journey and it doesn't happen overnight okay brilliant and one more um what do you do in your spare time when before you were drinking um I mean I would say I probably don't have a huge amount of spare time anymore because of, of obviously I do now have a full-time job plus an additional career as a therapist that I work a couple of evenings a week seeing clients and I have a podcast and I have just finished my second book. So I've become a bit of a workaholic, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But also I do things that I enjoy doing. I I, I run, I do yoga. Um, I love hot yoga, especially. I do that as much as I can. I see friends. I go out for meals still. Um, I'm in a choir, which kind of, that meets my need for a bit of kind of drama and performance that kind of came along with a drunken night out in some ways. That, oh, that's nice. So, so I love that. I love my choir. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of it really. But I've got young kids, so it's, a lot of my life is is about them. Which, which but is I think that's good. amazing, though. I think, you know, as you say, before you felt like you didn't have any hobbies. Um, mm. And that's something I've spoken to my husband about a lot. Um, and a lot of people I know, and especially as you're touching on with your CV, you know, 
um socializing <laughs> socializing yeah. is just a code word for going to the pub and getting pissed with friends isn't it yeah, so, yeah yeah I mean you've got that's a whole long list that you've just said there so I mean that is incredible um yeah I feel like I have a very full life now which is great and I've got more friends as well because I've still got the friends that I used to have but I've also got sober friends that I do other stuff with so last weekend I went over to see my friend Liz in Liverpool and we went swimming in the Irish Sea because she does that now that's been one of her kind of sober things that she discovered in lockdown so yeah I do more stuff and have more fun for sure Brilliant. Um, well, honestly, it's been so interesting this week. I've really immersed myself in your life, I feel, with your book <laughs> and, and now having an amazing chat with you. Um, and I think it's so refreshing to hear um, how far you've come and how positive you are about your sobriety. Um, so listeners at home, um, feel free. I'll put the link to Julia's book in the um, link to the bio. Um, oh, and you really, you. really should listen, um, read it. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for your time today, Julia. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Brilliant. Well, have a lovely weekend and take care. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. After this conversation and reading Julia's book, it really spun the term alcoholic on its head for me. Similar to Julia, I'd associated images from old sketch shows that portrayed alcoholics in an exaggerated ways and not thought about what just too much alcohol looks like. For myself, I would say I'm moving more into the realm of sober curious and reviewing my own relationship with alcohol. In situations where I would usually drink, I'm trying to see what feelings it brings up if I don't. Do I feel singled out? Insecure? Is it a huge thing if I'm not drinking? Do I know how to have a couple without having too many? All of these questions I never even used to ask myself. It was always just the assume to order a drink while socialising and then deal with the repercussions after. If you're reviewing your own relationship with alcohol, I hope you found Julia's story inspiring. I know I did. If you'd like to find out more, you can find Julia on her socials at Sober Positive. I've also put the link to her book in the bio. I'd really recommend reading it. And you can keep up to date with what I'm up to at Moody Girl Official. Until next time.